you all may be I want to invite you to uh, open up to John 15. There are some songs that um, you just want to shout, like not sing, I mean just scream it out because, uh, and that's one of those songs in declaring that together as a family, uh, uh, we had uh, mothers and daughters and, and sons and fathers and daughters and, and grandparents singing out in that song together and, and, and a little bit of a glimpse of what that's going to be like around the throne of God. And, and if you want to do that beyond here, like someday in eternity, and you want to be able to, to sing out the praises of our God with your family, it will do you well this morning to listen to the words of God. As we open up his word as fathers and as mothers, as grandparents, as sons and daughters, that we would embrace and to see what Jesus speaks to us as we look at his word. And so that's what we want to do today. That's a part of what we're coming together during this D6 Sunday out of Deuteronomy 6, which is read at the beginning of service, that as we would come together as the family of God, but in a uh, in, a, in a closer way, who God has, has, has given us as gifts as our children and our grandchildren, that we would lead them to the throne of God, and we would do that together. We are going to make much of Jesus today. And that's what we want to exalt, and that's who we want to look at. But we want to look at John 15, beginning in verse 12. Jesus is writing to his disciples here. He, he's speaking to them. He's been talking about what it means to abide and to be a part, to be a, a disciple, to be in with the Father. And then he goes on, he says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Fathers, we open up your word this morning. We pray that every ear uh, that would be listening to your word would have open hearts and open minds to your truth. Father, we pray that, that the seed of God, the word of God, would fall on good soil this morning. God, prepare our hearts, cleanse our minds of anything that might distract us, that might snatch the seed, but that it might take root and abide, and that we might be changed for all eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning, we want to be look at something that Jesus says to us. That is very important that we want to hear. And that is Jesus is our friend. Jesus, 
our friend. And, and as we think about that, that we think, well, that's, that's a great thought. But what, how does that affect my life? How does that change my life? And, and we'll see in just a minute what that does for you and I. But we need to first ask ourselves the question, how do we know that we're friends of Jesus? Because not everyone is a friend of Christ. Jesus is saying there are some conditions within these few verses here that Jesus is saying that must apply in our own life for us to say that Jesus is our friend. And we want Jesus to be our friend. That's what we're wanting. We want to be on the in crowd with Jesus. Because if you are in the right crowd, sometimes it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And so that's so true when it comes to Jesus being our friend. It's that we are connected to Christ and that Christ knows us and that we know Christ. And so as we just dive through these few verses here, we're going to be showing you some other verses, but we're going to walk right through what Jesus says here. Uh, beginning in verse 12 and 13. So the first thing that we can see, how do we know that Jesus is our friends? Number one, Jesus demonstrated the greatest form of love to us. We see this in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So the greatest form of expression to, to demonstrate your love, your genuine love for someone else, is to sacrificially lay down your life for another person. There's no greater form or display of love that can be shown than the love of Christ, what Christ has done for us. Now, Christ has not died yet, but he's, he's sort of opening the door to, hey, I'm explaining, I'm giving the definition of what true love is because I'm going to show you, I'm not just telling you, I'm going to show you the greatest form of love that there ever could be. We also see it in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. So you want, to, you want to know, does Jesus consider me a friend? Does Jesus love me? You need to also know that Jesus laid down his life for you. Jesus sacrificially went to the cross. As a matter of fact, it's why Jesus came to earth. We see it in Matthew 20. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's not, a, there's not a question. When you begin to question whether or not God loves you, whether or not his love is genuine, he, he didn't just say it with mere words, but he displayed it with mere actions by dying on the cross. And we see that clearly in Scripture. But not only did Jesus do that for his friends, so Jesus is saying the greatest love is someone who lays his down for his life for his friends. But Jesus even turned it up a notch. He went up a notch of demonstrating what love is in Romans chapter 5. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Not many people are willing to die for a righteous person. It takes certain type of people that are willing to do that. Though perhaps for a good person, one will dare to even die. Like, yeah, I'll die for good people, for righteous people, but I may not die for that person. But here's God's love in, in verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So this explanation here is trying to understand is that when Jesus died, I'm going to prove not only that I love you because you had nothing to offer me, I loved you and died for you when you had nothing to offer me. I laid down my life when you were a rebellious enemy. Jesus laid down his life. Now listen, I'm ever, we are all indebted today for those that have went before us, that have served our country as Americans and have laid down their lives for you and I. You and I have freedom. We, we, have, we are able to come in here because there have been men and women who have sacrificially, willingly, when they signed up to join the army, said, I am willing to die for my fellow countrymen, my fellow citizen. But even that... Jesus is turning up a notch. He said, I'm not just dying for my home country. I'm not dying for my family. I'm not just just dying for my friends. I'm dying for my enemies. And friend, listen, your life will drastically change. The way that you live, the way that you operate, when you begin to grasp and see that God greatly loves you. This is not a generic sermon. This is not just a, a throw it all out there for God so loved the world. He does, but God for, for God so loves you. He genuinely loves you. He cares for you and knows you. He also gives us another demonstration of that in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is explaining. He's, share, he's sharing with the disciples what true love is, because he gave us a commandment, we'll get to that in just a minute, that you love one another as I have loved you. How have I loved you? I died for you. I died for you. We also see that in Ephesians 5 when the husband, when Christ is talking about that the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He loved her that much. And so that is what God is calling us to. But we're seeing how do we know that we're friends of Christ? Because he has demonstrated his love for us. Now that, that is so important because it does not matter today how much you say, I love God. If God does not love you, you're getting nowhere in the relationship. So listen, listen to me, kids. Listen to me, teenagers. You might say, there is a girl that I really, really like. I really like this girl. That's cool. That's awesome. But if she doesn't like you, you're going nowhere. All right? She's got to like you, okay? Before you can like her, she's got to like you, or you'll never go anywhere in that relationship. So we've got something going for us here. Then we've got the most important part, and that is Jesus. Is not only is he saying he loves us, he's proved it. He's demonstrated. He showed it. Just so you know, this is how much I love you. He's going all out. He is, he is 100% obedient to the Father. He's following the Lord. He's doing what God, is, the Father, has commanded him to do, and he is demonstrating his love not only for the Father but for you and I. So what's the next thing that we see here? Jesus is our friend. Well, we see in verse 15 that Jesus has shared with us what the Father revealed. So, so go, to, go on to look at verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. So he, he's no longer calling them servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, 
But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So listen, here's what happens. We're no longer considered slaves, but we're now a part of the family. We're sitting at the family table. We're no longer sitting in the, in, in the corner. We're no longer serving, but we're at the table with Christ in the family. We're, we're, we, we've moved to where Christ, we are sharing in the blessings of the Father. He's letting us in on the Father's secrets, on the family secrets. What the Father's revealing to Christ, Christ is not holding anything back to you and I. And what is that? What we see in John chapter 13, we see that as Jesus was washing Peter's feet and he was explaining to him, he said, you, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will understand. And what is he talking about? Jesus has revealed the mystery of the gospel to you and I. Who that Christ has come that we might be forgiven of our sins so that we might know him. So he's holding nothing back. And see here, a slave, a servant will receive commands with no explanation right? Have you ever, you ever received that from your mom and dad? Just do it. And you say, why? And what do they say? Because I said so, right? Okay. Now, sometimes you just have to do that, right? As a parent, sometimes you just, just, just trust me. I'm the father. Just do it, right? I don't have to explain everything. I'm the father. I'm giving the command, do it. But when you are demonstrating the love of the Father, you're explaining the why so that they know and understand, oh, this is why Dad doesn't want me to do this or say that or watch that. This is why. So as we're teaching, we're explaining, and we're, under, we're giving, an understand, giving them an understanding of why we're doing. So, so Christ is, is including us in the kingdom. He's including us in the part of the work of salvation to redeem men and women. Not that we can save, but he's giving us a, a part in that, a role in that, that you and I are now a part of the family of God. There have been people that, that, were, that would say, oh, you know, back, in the, back when America was beginning to uh, uh, be birthed and all of these things and all of these people had slaves and servants and people would say, oh, but I love that slave like, a, like part of the family. No, you didn't. If you did, they wouldn't be slaves. And so there's a difference that God is distinguishing here. That this is the God that is calling us, that is calling us, that he's saying that I love you and I love you so much that I'm sharing everything with you. So we, the next part we see here in verse 16. Jesus chose and appointed us. How do we know that we're friends? Jesus chose and appointed us. So you see, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So listen, I, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say this. You may have said this. I, I, I may have said this, but it's not, it's not really accurate, okay? And that is the fact that we say, I found Jesus. You ever heard somebody say that? You ever said that? I found Jesus? No, you didn't. You were a lost sheep, desperate, but Christ found you. Christ found you, and he chose you, and he appointed you. And so this is not just, a, it's not just merely to have our sins forgiven. Jesus didn't just choose us to, for our sins to be forgiven, but that we would be fruitful and productive, as, as he says, to go and make 
and produce and bear fruit. But I, I, I don't know, a lot of us, it seems like the whole world is on Facebook, but if you're not, it's okay. Um, oh, seriously, it's probably better. And, um, but, but Jesus is sending the friend request, if, if that helps you out. He's the one that's pursuing you. But, but I only sort of lo- use that loosely because you might have like 4,000 Facebook friends. And that means absolutely nothing, right? There are only just a handful of those people that you actually will share information with, right? A friend is someone that you, that we'll post stuff on there and we'll post to the whole world, but like the real important news, the real special news, we'll call or we'll send a text, right? That one special friend. We want to make sure they get it. That's sort of what, what Jesus is inviting us to. He, he pursues us, but he's bringing us in. And allowing us to be his friend. Now here's the next part. And really this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. Because I feel like this is something that, that you and I should hear. And this is how do we know that Jesus is our friend. And, and, and it's really spelled out here. This is not what I'm saying. This is what Jesus is saying. In verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, that is something that we might say, well, that's legalistic, and that's, that's putting all of our works, and, and counting our salvation means that there has to be works, and there has to be action. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying today. But there is something here that he says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you. And then he, he ends it, he ends the whole thing, and verse 16, um, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So there is this command, there is this following of the Lord that goes along with being a friend of Christ, being a part in the family of God. We see it in the first part of chapter 15 that he's talking about abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And he talks about if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So what's he, what's he talking about? So th- there's something that there is a connection between being a part of the family of God and following and obeying his commands. So what we have to be very careful of is that when we preach and teach God's grace, that we don't forget to mention that also means obeying what God says. It also means walking worthy of the manner in which we are called. It also means pursuing holiness. So the law is not just beneficial to get us to the cross, right? It's, the law is not just there just to point to us to say, you're a sinner, you can't follow the law, that's why you need Jesus, and the law is only beneficial to point us to Jesus. No, Jesus did not uh, break the law, Jesus did not abolish the law, Jesus fulfilled the law. And so Jesus saved us, the law points us to the cross, but Jesus wants us to still continue to follow the law. He still wants us to be obedient to him. Okay, so I'm going to throw a big word out there, and I'm probably not going to pronounce it right, but it's okay because it's a big word, right? I'm, you, you can do that. 
but it is um, antinomianism. 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 Yeah, all right, just as long as you get the nism part, okay? It actually came from uh, Luther, and, and the Greek arrived against the law. This is something that you might hear, you might have heard, um, um, you might have said, I might have said in my younger years, not fully understanding here what we're talking about. And what, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm going to explain. Antinomianism is basically convictionless Christianity. That is all about God's grace. It's all about being forgiven and justification. And then that's it. There's no call. There's no conviction to follow the Lord closer. There's no call and conviction to continue to follow in the law. No call to pursue holiness. But to just come in Christ, his forgiveness and his grace. You, on, on Jesus, you, you, before the Father, Jesus is standing on your behalf, which is true. But he's also calling us to follow him. And so basically, it's grace that exempts us from moral laws. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible... The Bible does not say you are saved by grace, so therefore you're exempt from the law. You don't need to follow the law anymore. That's not the gospel. The gospel... It, it, and again... The works and the law is not what saves us. It's Christ that saves us. But evidence and fruit that we belong to Christ is that we obey his commands. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus says it in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what, you, what I command you. That's Jesus' words. He's saying you are my friends if you do what I command you. So John Piper explains there are two different ifs. Okay, there's a, there's a wrong view of the word if and a bad view, I mean a good view of the word if. So the first one is not the proper one, but it's the if that would communicate a condition, meaning if I go to church, if I tithe, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I'm a good person and I'm moral, then God will be my friend. Then if I'm good, then God will love me. That does not work that way because you will never be good enough for God to follow and love you. God, you will never be righteous enough. You will never be holy enough. You will never be pure enough to earn God's love. It's impossible. So that, that view of verse 14 is incorrect. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So that's where we have to be careful and not preach legalism. That's legalism. That's saying dress a certain way, act a certain way, live a certain way, talk a certain way. And if you do those things, then God will love you. No, God has already died on the cross to show his love. But now how do we know what kind of if this is? Well, this is sort of a cause and effect if. This is the proper view. This communicates that because Christ loves us, because we are friends with him, because he has saved us, if Jesus has saved us, we will do what he commands us. So there is a difference there. One, 
We can't earn our salvation. Another one is as a result of our salvation, as a result of knowing Christ, as a result of following the Lord. Therefore, it will produce fruit in our life. And so he gives an illustration. He said, if your white blood cell count is low, then you are already in remission. So it's a cause and effect. Because this is this, then this. So what is Jesus saying? If you are my friends, not you should keep my commandments, you will keep my commandments. So that's the call. What are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to just let Jesus do all the work? That's the whole point. No, Jesus has done the work and we can't. So let's go back over to in, in beginning in, in chapter 15. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why we can't get the other. We have to, we have, to have the, the salvation planted into the earth so that it can produce fruit. You don't go the other way around. You don't try to get a branch and try to produce fruit, and then hopefully it'll grow a tree. You start with the seed, the word of God, and that word of God will produce fruit in your life. So if you are, if an apple tree is planted in the ground, you will produce apples. That's what he's saying. But a lot of times we, we start with an apple. And here's something else. Here's something else that we do. We say that, yes, we are apple trees, but there's no fruit in our life. And we're going around and telling everybody that we're Christians, that we believe in Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that we're friends of Jesus. But you look, and there are no apples. What is Jesus saying? That you are not a friend of Christ. Four out of five, this is a few years ago, out of the Follow Me book, David Platt wrote. In the first chapter, he talks about this sort of research that surveys did of Americans. Four to five Americans said that they were Protestant or Christian. And, you, and then about half of the Americans would say that they're born-again Christians. Like, there's a difference. There's not a difference. It's the same thing. But half Americans, which to me sounds way off, right? Because you begin to Ask them questions, what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and the majority of them don't embrace all of Jesus' teachings. They don't follow what Jesus is saying. They don't believe all the things that God says. They would even say that Jesus is not the only way. And I would say, well, then you're not a Christian. The scary thing is, is there are a lot of people in our world today, and not just in America, a lot of people all across the world that would say they're Christians and they're not. And one of the ways that we show and know that we're Christians is that we follow his commands. 1 John chapter 3 says this. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what, he, do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God 
and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So if you ever doubt with your salvation, you ever doubt with that, Jesus is giving us a proof text. Are we abiding in God? Are we following his commands? Not, listen, not are we perfect, but are we following the Lord? When we say, yeah, I'm following him and I'm actually following him. It's like when you go and it's like, all right, guys, all right, kids, come on, it's time to go. I'm coming, dad. No, you're not. You're sitting on the couch watching TV. You are not coming, right? How many we do that? Yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm following him. But you're not. You're not. And so I think it's a good gut check this morning to ask ourselves, are we following the Lord? Are we pursuing his commands? Now listen, there is security in Christ. That when he saves us, we know that we're saved. We We should not doubt that. But God's word is also teaching that those that are secure in Christ are believers that obey his commands. And it's not obedience out of moral obligation, it's obedience out of a love for Christ. You see, I think this is the beautiful picture that we see here, that Jesus is not calling us slaves or servants, but he's calling us friends. He's calling us friends. This, this, is, this is built out of a relationship, but because of the love of Christ, it should compel us and move us to be obedient. Because your obedience is a test of God's love. It's it's beyond mere words. It's more than just saying, I love you, God. My Jesus, tis I love thee. Right? It's more than just singing that song, but God saying, thank you, I appreciate that, but please show me. Please prove that you love to me, or stop saying you love me, because one can only be true. John Owen says that it is but a false pretense of love to God that any man who has, who lives in any known sin. That means if we have sin in our life, well, we know it's in our life, but yet we say we love God, then it's pretense, it's pretend. We're pretending to love God. We're pretending to love God. Where God is not loved above all, he is not loved at all. And he is not so where men will part with one cursed lust for his sake. Do not let your light deceive you, nor your gifts, nor your duties, nor your profession. If you live in sin, you do not love God. That's a gut check right there. John Owen is saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you're in leadership or not. It doesn't matter your spiritual gifts or not. It doesn't matter your, your music abilities or singing abilities or the abilities that you bring to the church. And you're serving and saying, well, I've done this, or I've been on a mission trip, and I've served in this way. That means I'm a Christian. But he's also saying that if you live in sin and are not following God's command, you genuinely don't love the Lord. That's hard. And I know we can't 100% purely love God because we're incapable of doing that. But we can seek and desire to follow him. So how do we obey? Because apart from Christ, it's impossible. How do we obey? So the antidote for disobedience isn't obedience, but love. That's how we we obey. We love Christ. 
Because if you struggle to obey Jesus, rather than focusing on buckling down and and, and trying to figure out how you're going to fix this sin in your life, rather than trying to do that, focus on loving Christ. Focus on loving Him. It also means obeying the hard commands. You see, if you keep on reading, Jesus is going to say, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me. He's, he's asking for a hard thing here. He's asking you to follow him when it's hard. He's asking you to follow him when it's not popular. And so many so-called Christians or believers want to pick and choose the things that we want of Jesus and of the Bible, and we're just going to leave all that other hard stuff, unpopular stuff, and we're just going to throw it out. Because that's just too hard. That's just not really what the culture's saying, and so we're just going to pick and choose. But Jesus is saying, you don't really love me. It's a partial love, which is really no love at all. It's the, it's the unpopular commands of following Jesus. So what is he commanding? Jesus is our friend, but Jesus is giving us a command. And what is he commanding? Well, he says it twice in this passage of verse 12 and verse 17. Love one another. That you love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 35, Jesus says it again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this, is, this goes back to the whole thought or the whole teaching is that to love Christ is to love the church. Okay, so you can't, uh, you can't visit Jesus in the hospital. You can't pray with Jesus over the phone. You can't check on Jesus. You can't give Jesus a drink of water, but you can the church, right? You can minister to the church. And so if you say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't have time for the family of God. I don't really love the family of God. Well, Jesus is saying, you got a problem with my bride. And if you've got a problem with my bride, you've got a problem with me. So Jesus is saying we are to love him by loving one another. And Jesus, don't forget, Jesus has given us an example of what true love is. And that is by laying down his life for you and I. How are we to love one another? Jesus says, well, the greatest form of love is to sacrificially, selflessly die for someone else. That doesn't mean you know, you know go die for somebody today. But that's the, that's the greatest form. But how deep is your love for someone? How far are you going with someone? And I love what Richard Baxter says, and he puts it in perspective of eternity. Because you will love them in heaven. They're believers, the church. You will love them in heaven. Listen to this. It is the belief that I shall love my friends in heaven, that principally kindles my love to them on earth. If I thought I should never know them after death and consequently never love them anymore when this life is ended, I should in reason number them with temporal things and love them comparatively but a little. Even as I have the love of other transitory things, like I would... I mean, he doesn't say it here, but like I would love a cheeseburger, right? Like we love, like we love a, like if, if, if I'm not going to see these people 
when I die in heaven, that I'm just going to love them like I, like I love cheeseburgers, right? I have no respect, you know, just temporary love. But now I converse with some delight with my godly friends, as believing I shall converse with them forever. And I take comfort in the very dead and absent as believing we shall shortly meet in heaven. And I love them. I hope with a love that is of a heavenly nature. And what a great reminder that as you and I are conversing one another and having godly conversations, that we're going to love them in eternity. Just begin that process now. Don't wait till you get to heaven to love them. Love them now. Don't wait till you get to heaven to demonstrate that love. Let's do it now. So number one, love one another. Number two, go and bear fruit. We see in verse 16, he chose and appointed us for what reason? That we should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So again, he's not asking, any, he's not asking us anywhere. He's not commanding us anything that he's not already done. That he's not already walked for us and done for us. And so not only is he commanding us, but he's giving us the ability to go and bear fruit. He's not leaving us on our own, but he's saying, if you flip back over in verse 5, he says that there is nothing you can do apart from me. So this bearing of fruit comes from Christ's ability to do that, to accomplish that. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there are a couple of ways that we are bearing fruit, and that is how we're living. That is the holy lifestyle that we are pursuing and the things that we're doing. And so we can't say, I'm saved by grace, therefore I'm exempt, and I can live however I want to live. This is my lifestyle. Jesus has saved me. His grace is sufficient. I am covered by the blood of Christ. And so therefore, I can walk in freedom and can live however I want to live. And so don't judge me. I'm a believer. You haven't experienced the freedom of Christ, so I can live however I want to live. The problem with that is you're looking at it the wrong way. Because freedom means that you want to follow Christ. You want to obey his commands. You no longer are a slave being drugged to do it, but you desire to please the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. So here's a great question to ask yourself this morning. Not are you perfect, but do you want to please the Lord? Do you have that desire within you? Do you want, to, not just to avoid hell, not to avoid his wrath, but do you want to make him smile? Do you want to make him proud? And that is to go and bear fruit. Another way that we bear fruit is by making disciples. Are you bearing fruit today? Are you making disciples? Are you going and telling? Are you sharing the story of Christ? Are you investing in someone? Are you speaking the gospel to your children? Are you praying over them and praying with them? Are you reading God's word at home? Do you ever mention Christ at all? And not because you got mad at somebody, but because you are 
investing and making disciples. And that's really what true biblical parenting is. And grandparenting is, is making disciples. And the next thing that we see that Jesus is saying, he says, love one another, go and bear fruit. And then he also says to pray. Because as a result of our fruit abiding, as a result of our fruit being produced, and not just a temporal fruit, not just a fruit that, that people notice, and we go, oh, you're spiritual, but it's rooted, it's grounding, it's sticking around, that type of fruit. The result of that is, is that we can go to the Father in Jesus' name. Because we are abiding in Christ, we now can pray to him. We now have access to the Father. We have the ability to come before the Lord. And so there's a connection to our abiding in our prayer that we go to the Father for our needs. We also see it in, 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 where he's talking about the vine, that you could come to the Father and that he will give you whatever you ask. What, that, what is that? That means if we're abiding in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, we're following his commands, that whatever you pray, God will answer. Are, are you serious about that? Yes. Because here's what, here, here's that sort of cause and effect, because if you're abiding in Christ, you're staying close to him as a friend. You know what he wants. You know what he desires, and your prayers are centered around the will of God. And when you're praying, you're praying the very promises of God, and so God will always fulfill his promises. And so you, can just, you can just know it. that like I, I don't know about you, but can you tell when your kids are around certain friends? Maybe they maybe they went went over somewhere for a weekend and they come back and they're acting like this particular person because they spent so much time with them. And you begin and that's what happens as as you develop a friendship, right? You begin you begin to love the things that they love. You begin to embrace the things that they embrace because you begin to spend time together. And that's what happens when we become a friend of God. We begin to know Him and know His heart and know what He likes and know the things about Him. And so, therefore, we begin to pray the things that God desires. And here's, here's also another thing that prayer does. When we're praying, it's also saying, Jesus, we trust in you. You know when we don't pray? It's because we don't trust in the Lord. If you're not praying, it's because you're not really trusting in the Lord. But when we pray, we're saying, Jesus, you are the only answer. You are in control, and I trust you to choose what is best in my life. And that's what happens in a friendship. You trust, because genuine love comes to the Father. It's not self-centered. It's not seeking your own desires, your own wants, but it's coming to him and seeking what he wants, trusting in him, that you might abide in him. And so I don't know where you stand this morning with the Lord if you're a true believer, this, this sermon was not for you to doubt your salvation, but maybe to look at how closely are you following the Lord. Because a lot of times, and I know I'm guilty of this, I, I would say, yes, I'm following the Lord, but when I really take a step back and I look at my life, 
Am I really following the Lord as, I, as close as I think I am? Am I really seeking the heart of the Lord? Or have I pursued my own little selfish ambitions? Am I like my kids? In my mind, I think I'm coming. I, I think I'm there. I'm already committed. I'm already in the car buckling up. But in reality, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm focusing on what I want to accomplish. So maybe this morning this is an opportunity for fresh and new to submit to the Lord and commit to the Lord. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. I will follow you. And maybe this morning you would even come to the conclusion in your own heart, you did not realize the magnitude of God's love for you. And maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've been a part of the, the faith family, and, and as you have, have seen that, and listen, we've seen adults do this. It's a beautiful picture, and, and maybe you were somewhere, and, and maybe you were, someone just said, hey, all you need to do is just say this prayer. And you prayed a prayer, not really thinking about your sin, not really thinking about, you were just wanting to avoid hell. And God, the Holy Spirit, has is, is, is quickened your heart and your mind this morning to show you that you have never really trusted in the Lord. You've never really said, forgive me of my sins, I repent of my sins, and I want to follow you. Now, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're a student or a, or a kid, and, and you've been asking questions about following Jesus, about being a Christian, and maybe it is that Jesus wants to save you this morning. And so I'd ask um, the musicians and Justin to come and prepare a song. As you stand, I'll invite you to stand. Jesus has extended the invitation to you and I. He's extended the invitation that we would come and follow him. And maybe it is you just need to come and repent. Maybe it is you need to to seek him and to follow the Lord this morning. I want you to be obedient to the Lord. Trust in him. If God is calling you to follow him, I will invite you to do that as we pray. Father, we thank you, Father, for the great love that you have displayed. No greater love as anyone had ever seen or known than the love that you have for us. For I pray that your Holy Spirit would work beyond this time, beyond this hour and this moment. God, there would be abiding fruit in the lives of your people. For I pray that this morning you'd help us to even think of how we approach people that might say they're Christians. We not just assume that that's the real gospel, that we would share the gospel with them. God, help us to live in such a way that we're following you not out of obligation, not out of even fear, but God, out of love. And that fear would lead us to you. Realize how great you are and how wonderful you are. I pray you'd have your way in our hearts and our minds. In Christ's name we pray.